Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Before I start this morning, there's just a couple of things I want to mention to you. Uh, number one is uh, there's a young man here at church. He and his family have been, uh, they, they bought a gun, nasty looking thing. And they've sold chances on it. Somebody wants to uh, let me know because I've got some in the office. I think they're $5 a piece. But the interesting thing about that is uh, uh, where he's sold over $1,700 worth of chances. And, uh, and the money is all going to go to the track chair. And... Uh, I think I think I remember correctly. On the fifth of August, they're going to have the drawing to see who gets the chair, or who who gets the gun, and that seventeen hundred dollars if uh, is going to bring us just almost to a total of ten thousand dollars so far that we received. And so, really good, and. Uh, uh, I think the total amount we paid was like 12280 or something close to that. So, But I, I just thought you needed to know where we were. And, and I was asked this morning, and it was a good question. I hadn't, it's pretty early, but how do we going to select the person who receives the track chair? And uh, that's uh, how is, is kind of complicated because we went, uh, uh, Matthew and I sat down with the local veterans group down at the courthouse and then they looked into the situation locally, and they couldn't find anything locally that was a candidate for what, uh, for the uh, guidelines that we've said he has to be uh, a young guy or a girl who's wounded in combat and 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 needs it to get around, so on and so forth. And so they then went up to uh, Chilled Coffee. And, and check through, I think that's their they direct report up to them. And then in Chillicothe, they came up with five potential individuals. Now, we haven't done anything about interviewing or anything. That, that's where that stands right now. And uh, as we know more, we'll, we'll let you know. Actually, the announcement of who will get it will not be uh, known until the night that it's given away. Now, the individual will know. Uh, and there will be some other people who might know, I don't know. But anyway, uh, that will be one of the, really, the highlights of presenting that track chair and let that young man or woman, whoever it is, take a little spin around here and see how that works. So um, uh, I suspect we'll probably know. My guess is that we'll probably have all that worked out by 1st of October. Hopefully we'll have everything done by the 1st of October. And that means uh, that in the next 10 days, we're going to need some of you who write well. That eliminates most of the men. Uh, but who write well to help uh, meet with us here. We've got to address 800 envelopes that have uh, invitations to the veterans in our area. And then there, there we'll insert a letter explaining all to it and... and and at the same time, we have to put a return address on them. We've got that ready to go. And then stamps, and the post office folks have given us a little um, Purple Heart stamp that goes on each one of them. And, 
and then we'll want to get a stamp to put on it that says, you know, veteran stuff inside so they'll be sure and open it and not just throw it away. So some of you good-looking women uh, and, and, if, and some, if you can write real well, some of you guys, because we want to address, hand address all 800 of those, hoping that they'll come near opening them. Uh, and then in probably next week, we'll, this sheet will be inside the bulletin for everybody to look and fill out at, and uh, it'll kind of update you and it, it'll say who's going to volunteer to do what. Because we'll have 70 tables in here on the night of the 12th of, of, um, of November. It's the day after Veterans Day. And um, we'll have table sponsors. Now, each one of those tables sponsored is, is $300. And, uh, and uh, we've got about 20 that people have just called and said, well, we want to sponsor a table. Timmy Glockner, I think, was the first one, and he said, I'll, I'll, not, I'll not only sponsor a table, I'll take 12. And I said, how about 15? And said, but right now it's still 12. But I tried anyway. Anyway, and others have just volunteered, and, and so uh, that'll help us. And if we get those, all 70 of them paid for, sponsored, each table sponsor gets two free tickets because all of the seats have to be ticketed. If when the veterans, we'll send them... They, they say, yes, we want to come. They, each family can have uh, either two tickets, and, and, uh, but they'll be assigned a table and, and a chairs at that particular table. That's what we have to do in order to. And then we've invited, uh, we haven't, but we're going to invite simply because the, the, um, the, the uh, clinic downtown has said they want, there was a politician that they said it helped them a lot they, that they wish we'd invite. I think the last name was Johnson. I don't know who he is, but anyway. Uh, but here's, here's the way the law reads. If, if for instance, if we uh, invite the two senators from Ohio, uh, you can't invite one without the other by law. As a nonprofit, we have to, if we, if we invite the Democrat senator, we have to invite the Republican or vice versa. And, uh, and now, where there's only one, I, think, I guess it didn't make any difference, but I know for the senators that that's the law, and we'll have to do that. But I don't know whether we will or whether we'll invite those, but we are going to invite them, are going to send them a thing that says they can reserve a table for $300. That, just the thought of getting 300 bucks from a senator just warms my heart, you know. <laughs> okay, now let's... Uh, uh, this, the sermon series that we're in, uh, and the, the title uh, is to, uh, this, evening, uh, this morning is to know God and to know yourself. And the signed verse of scripture is one that you probably know and have heard many times. It is, in my opinion, really a hard passage. Not a hard passage to explain, but it's just really tough. And here's the reason. Let me read it. The, uh, it's from the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, uh, the people of Israel who were to be, they, they were assigned by God this one job. Everything else was less important than this one job, and that job was by the life that they live, they were to show everybody outside of Israel who their God was. You want to know the true and the living God, you watch us. And the way that that's done is by the way we treat people. That's right. That's the, the, that, and, and in that, 
he was saying in Isaiah, the 42nd chapter, it was explained like this. It said that you are to be a light to the Gentiles. Well, Israel failed at that. And then the church was given that responsibility. That's why we came into, the, came into existence. The church then replaced Israel as God's means of letting the world know who he is. And the way we do that is by the way that we treat each other. And, and everybody else too, as far as that's concerned. Now here's what he says. Here was their problem. Sin had entered the world and the results of it had been absolutely devastating. And, I, and Jeremiah says it this way concerning the heart. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Now, folks, he's not talking about the pump in the chest. And we'll explain that as we go along. Not only is the heart deceitful, the word deceit means that you behave in a certain way in order to get somebody to do what you want them to do that they shouldn't do. So you behave in a certain way, you do certain things, to, and, and you deceive people into doing what they oughtn't to do, and many times thinking they're doing the right thing. And then he says concerning the heart, it's beyond cure. You're beyond help, he was saying. You cannot help yourself. There's nothing you can do to fix your problem. And then, and then he goes on in the next verse, and he says, I, the Lord... Search the heart and the mind. Here's what I check out. I check out the heart by looking at your mind. How do you think about things? Now, in the past, I've spent time explaining the scriptural heart, but uh, I, I think it's important maybe that I go back and, and read another passage of scripture here uh, that kind of explains how Israel has really messed up. Um, this is in the seventh chapter, and it starts off with the word therefore. And you know by now that whenever the scripture uses the word therefore, you're saying sit up and listen at least with one ear because this is important. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field, on the fruit of the ground, and, it'll, and my anger will burn and not be quenched. In other words, there's nothing you can do to keep me from being angry at you because of what you've done. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices, and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. Obey me, and I'll be your God, and you'll be my people, and always I will command you, and then things will go well with you. Israel had abandoned their God. That was their problem. And didn't make any difference what else they did. Since they abandoned their God, they were beyond help. You have to get your priorities straight. You rule God out of your life and do what you want to, and I don't care what else you do. You have no hope. You're beyond help. That's what he's telling them. And, uh, and he, he goes into the, you know, the, a great deal of time and effort to explain to them how badly they've messed up and what the consequences are. He was simply saying this. 
because you have chosen other gods. Now, why did they choose other gods? Why would they do something stupid like that after the true and the living God had brought them out of captivity in Egypt and given them a, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey? It's generally explained by Bible scholars like the following, and they're probably right. When Israel came after 430 years in slavery in Egypt and came and into, the, into Israel as the promised land, they had been primarily shepherds. Oh, they'd spent a little time making brick, but they didn't know how to make brick. That's just, that was punishment. They were, they were primarily keepers of sheep and, and goats and cows. That's what they knew. So now they come into Israel... And the Israelites, the people who were living in Israel before they got there, now they were supposed to get rid of them, and they didn't. So here's a neighbor who worships Dagon, the god Dagon or Chemosh or, or one of the Baal and the Astaroth. These are fertility gods. They actually, uh, they, they would say, they would actually send their daughters down to the pagan priests to see if they could get them pregnant in the spring because if they, if they were impregnated that was to be an omen that their crops were going to be good. And there wasn't any priest down there that complained about that. There's a little humor there if you're with me. They, and so, uh, so here, here comes the people of Israel and they settle down here and their garden looks awful. Because they don't know how to raise a garden. They know how to take care of sheep. And here is a guy who worships the Baal over here. Got the prettiest garden you ever saw. So he goes over to his neighbor and says, Why is your garden so good and mine so awful? And he says, It's because I worship the Baal and the Astaroth. They're fertility gods. And they bless my fields. And, and so... And, and if you were to worship him and send one of your daughters down there to get pregnant, why then maybe your garden would be good too. And so the first thing you know, that's what they're doing. And so they have abandoned the true and the living God to worship gods made with human hands. The result is they now are living under a curse. They're living under a curse. Actually, the, the text actually says that to them here. You guys are living under a curse. And in, in, chapter, in verse 5 here of that same chapter, he said, this is what the Lord says, and cursed is the one who trusts in man and depends on man and the things of the flesh and whose heart has turned away from the Lord. So here's the pickle. And by the way, I use that term explaining this passage here to Patrick and Eddie, and they looked at me. I could just then see I'd messed up. They're thinking about a pickle, and I'm trying to explain to them the situation that's not too good, and they're thinking about pickles, and it was my fault. So you have to be careful when you explain some of those things to them. By the way, you need to pray for Patrick and Eddie. Because this afternoon, if the weather is pretty, they get to take their first plane ride in a small plane around the area and see what's here. And I've, I've tried to explain to them that when the pilot turns it upside down, don't worry about it, and they turn it back up, it'll be okay. And if they go into one of these power dives, he'll pull out of it, and, it'll, and they'll get to tell their friends something they've never known before. I'm just trying to encourage them. 
Now then, from now on you need to follow on your little piece of paper. It'll be helpful if you do. If I were to ask, there's at least one person here that I could ask, quite other than the four boys, uh, the two boys that live with us, the four components of the spiritual heart, the biblical heart, what would it be? And I suspect that, uh, Jay, I suspect you still know them, do you? Haircutting special? Do you still remember them? Say yes. I don't care if you lie. Okay. Because we studied this back years ago, and I remember she was one of them who, who kind of got it in her mind. If you notice, and we'll just qu- go quickly through these first four things, because this is what composes. When he's talking about the heart, he's not talking about the pump in the flesh. He's talking about one of these, one or more of these four things. The first one is the mind. And, uh, and, and, and if you, in the text that we read, if you recall, in verse 10, he said, I will search the heart and examine the mind, your intellect. He wants to know how you think. If you think wrong, you're going to do wrong. Because, because the scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the way you think is important. And we'll talk about that a little bit more because here's what has happened. And I want to stop here just long enough to do this because I've got a lot to go and only half and a half an hour to get there. So here's the problem that we face in our culture. A few years ago, because one woman who was an atheist filed suit, they took the Bible and prayer out of the public schools. That created a vacuum in the public school system, and in coming into that, into that vacuum became, came psychology, modern psychology. And this is easy to, to, to... And modern psychology says this, that mankind is innately good, and any bad things that they do is a result of bad environment or some bad gene or something like that. In, in other words, it's not their fault because man is innately good, and if he gets into bad, it's because he's been pushed into that one way, and it's really not. You know, his mother may have stuck him with a pen when they changed his diaper, some really important thing like that that caused him to think the way he did and, and get into trouble because it's assumed, and, it, and there's actually, you can purchase a book by Jan Denise that's enti- entitled Innately Good. And at the same time that the Bible and reading and prayer was taken out of the schools, the school system then started supplying for the schools psychologists and making that available for them. Still is. That's the system. Created that vacuum and psychology, just the opposite of what uh, Jeremiah was. Jeremiah was saying because of your sin of turning away from God who has blessed you, You are without hope. You are living under a curse, and there's not a cockeyed thing you can do about your situation. You're trapped. Well, you know, the psychology comes along and says, don't even mention sin. There isn't any such thing as sin. Forget using that term. In fact, there was a book written by a Christian psychiatrist years ago out in Topeka, Kansas, that was entitled, Whatever Happened to Sin? Because you see, sin is something that can be forgiven. 
If you have a psychological problem, you have to keep going back and going back and going back and going back because you never get over it. You just have to learn to live with it. So it's... it's a, a, and, and these two philosophies are in direct conflict with one another. One of them says you don't sin so you don't have anything to, to, to have forgiven. You don't have a problem. The other one says you've sinned and turned against God and since you've turned against God and there's nothing you can do to help yourself, you're in a pickle. And you have to choose. You wonder why our children at a very young age abandon the faith and turn to different philosophies and so on and so forth, it's because that's what they're being taught. They're being taught that within our world we have a closed universe and that there is a natural cause for every act. But Christianity says that God has penetrated creation and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So we're talking about, let's go back to where we were. The mind. After, the, after we're talking about the mind, we talk about the conscience. And when you look at Scripture, and if you go over to the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews, he relates the word, the conscience, to the heart. The ninth chapter, verse 14 and following, here's what he says. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. We'll talk more about the cleansing of the conscience because when he starts talking about faith, he's talking about the conscience. Now see, here's the way this works. When you go to work tomorrow... You cannot hold your Bible in front of you and read it all day long or you'll get fired and should. So here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to read the Bible, study the Bible, and then the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, hides it in your heart, puts it in your mind, and then you live and you educate your conscience with the Word of God and then don't violate your conscience because it's with you all the time. That's the system that God has set up so that we can live godly lives without excuse. You take the Word of God, by the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, educates our conscience, and then we don't violate our conscience. That's the way you live a godly life. You can't carry the Scriptures out here with you all the time. But your conscience never leaves you. Then there, there's the emotions. And actually, in the 19th chapter of, 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 um, of Leviticus, he mentions two. He mentions hate and love, both. And, and, uh, and so this is as, as a part of the heart, of the scriptural heart. So we've got three things here. We've got the mind or the intellect. And then we have the conscience and the emotions and maybe the will. It just might be the most important one of the bunch. Being willing, the will, as, as a part of the scriptural heart. These are the four things that are spelled out here that I want you to keep in mind. He's not talking about a pump in the chest. He's talking about, and you see, at one time, it wasn't even translated heart because it was translated bowels. 
And some of the older text translations will say bowels because what they were looking for in the translation was the core of man's being. And so they set, finally settled on the word cardia, the word cardia in the heart. But he's talking about what makes up the real man. The real man lives in a house made of flesh. And what we're talking about is what composes that real man who lives in that house of flesh. And it turns out to be these four things. The intellect, the conscience, the will, and the emotions. Now then, here's, the Bible says that the Lord searches the heart. So when he searches the heart of man, what does he find? He, here's what he finds. He finds, as I've already said, that since we are living, since we have really abandoned the will and, and, and what God requires of us, we're living under a curse that came as a result. See, that's all of Israel found themselves in that situation. They actually had a diseased heart beyond cure. Now, I have a little experience with that diseased heart thing. Many years ago, I got a telephone call uh, and, and I was told that, uh, uh, that a local fella who attended our church had a heart that was so diseased that locally they couldn't do anything about it. His last name was Whiteside. Norma, his widow, is one of my sheep here, good friend. His heart was so diseased that nothing in Ohio could treat it. His only hope was to fly to Houston, Texas, to a doctor who had just gotten, had been, become world famous for dealing with these problems. His name was DeBakey. We had to rent a private plane. The Jim Bob helped me rent a, a, a private plane, and we flew him down to cost about $1,500. We flew him down there. They, they get, put him through all the tests, and Dr. DeBakey, and he passed away. And Dr. DeBakey, on an old hand typewriter, sent both Norma and me a letter saying, we hand typed, we did all that we could, but his heart was so diseased that he was beyond help. It's this kind of situation that Israel found themselves in. Their heart was so corrupted by sin and selfishness and a desire just to do what they wanted to do that they had abandoned the true and the living God and there was nothing they could do to help themselves. That's the situation that they were in. David was a part of that. If you recall, the 51st chapter of the book of Psalms talks about David talking about his sin with Bathsheba, and he cried out, Oh, Lord, create within me a new heart. He knew, he knew that in spite of keeping the law of God before him day and night and, 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 and loving the Lord God for sure, that, that he was still living under a curse. And when he knew better, he still couldn't help himself. Sad situation. Now then, so here's what it boils down to. If man couldn't help himself and the requirement was something that he couldn't meet and had no resources to meet it because God had said from the outset that your only hope is 
if a human being can live without sin and offer himself as a living sacrifice as a, because they knew about sacrificial offerings as a sin offering I'll permit you to repent and come back to me well there isn't anybody like that it didn't exist they were without hope so because God so loved the world, he sent his son in the form of a baby. Now, I, I personally, I put down here just for the fun of it that God came to town riding on a donkey because there's a song that goes with that that we really didn't sing. But anyway, God comes to town. I should have started really with the virgin birth of Jesus. That's how he came to town. Because what God did is he, he said, okay, since you can't help yourself and I love you, I can fix it. And so he created a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle. A miracle is that which happens that man cannot create, can't make happen. So God entered humanity. He entered human history in the form of Jesus Christ who lived without sin in order to meet the standards that God had set up and then he came to town riding on a donkey knowing very good and well that he would never leave town that he was going to die there because that's what he was commissioned to do to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross shed his blood and God would accept that shed blood from a perfect man as payment for man's sin and would allow then God God would then allow man through repentance to come back to him all of those Old Testament saints were, were waiting in paradise, waiting, waiting, waiting for God to fix it. And he fixed it in Jesus Christ. And the testimony that he was God in the flesh was an empty tomb where he came out of that tomb alive. Because actually he wasn't in it in any way. Just his dead body was lying there while he went to paradise and told the people in paradise, the 16th chapter, while he went to paradise and he told them, hey guys, what you have been longing for, the miracle that you've hoped for has happened. And I'm here. And, he, and Peter says he preached to those who were in, the, in, in, in Hades. He, he, to, the, to those in paradise, he said, you know, I've come to set you free. I'm going to take you to heaven with you. And to those old guys across the incrossable gulf in, in Tartarus, he said, you're going to stay here until judgment day, and then you got trouble because you chose the wrong God. One of the good preachers that Matthew really likes, and I don't like him much because he's a Presbyterian and great big tall fella. I don't like that either, and he's smarter than me. There's lots of reasons why I don't like him. Anyway, who, who wrote a book on the modern gods that we have a tendency to worship. Now, not only did God pay the price for our sin in the person of Jesus Christ, he says he, he, he then sent his Holy Spirit. When Jesus went back to heaven, he then sent his Spirit because Jesus, if he stayed here, couldn't be everywhere at once. But the Spirit of God has the capacity to be everywhere at once. He's not limited by time, space, or flesh. 
So he can be wherever he needs to be. And, 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 and here's the deal. Anybody who, ex, who repents of their sins and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is the Messiah that paid the price for his sin on the cross and says, I have sinned, I have come short of the glory of God. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then he does this. He forgives our sin, puts his Holy Spirit in, our, in us for this purpose, to create within us a new heart. And that new heart is composed of what? Intellect, the conscience, the emotions, and the will. All of these he recreates and th through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you don't have all of this in a mature place the minute you're a convert. We're trying to get you to move from being a convert to a disciple. And when you get to be a disciple, you are a learner of him. That's what a disciple is, a student or a learner. Then when he says, come to me, you know, and learn of me, we learn and then we get to the place where we can tell somebody else what they have to do to be a convert so they can become a disciple, so they can go to somebody else. That's the way the gospel is to be spread. But Satan is clever. What that rascal has done is he said, here's the way it is. We want the preacher to do all that. You see, now we've got one guy that's, supposed, that's doing what everybody's supposed to be doing, and he's supposed to be equipping them to do it rather than doing it himself. And that way, we've got several hundred people who will leave here and do what he's asked us to do to win converts and then teach them to become disciples. And the first thing you know, instead we will double. Because I tell you what's happening here at church, and you haven't figured it out yet, you're kind of a slow learner. Here's what we're about. We're moving from recovery to, to revival. We're moving from... And if you've never seen the fire fall, I feel sorry for you, because that's how our church started. We had rented the Seventh-day Adventist building up here on 27th Street, and there was about 30 of us sitting in there feeling sorry for each other. Not really. But anyway, there we were, and all of a sudden, and we would pray and sing together, pray and sing together, and pray and sing together, and pray and sing together. And the first thing you know, the place was full. And the next thing you know, we had two services, and they were full. We had cops coming up there saying, please quit parking people uh, parking so you're blocking people's driveways. And we say, we do that so they'll have to come to church. And for some reason or other, they didn't accept that, but that's a, that's a, that was the idea. But that's the way it works. That's the way it works. <coughs> Excuse me. What does this miracle then accomplish? It's a testimony that God kept his promise. Because when you go to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, he says, he makes this promise. The day will come when I'll give you a new heart. We'll, the day will come when you can have a successful heart transplant. I just had a friend. I go to a skin doctor up in Ashland, uh, Dr. Cooper. She's a, and, and she and I have gotten to be pretty good friends. And, and she came in the office one day, and she had a few extra minutes, and she said, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? I thought she's going to do it for free. 
dream on, brother. You know, it didn't happen. But she said, my husband is dying. His only hope for living is to have a lung transplant. I'd never heard of a lung transplant. About three months ago, when I went up for my appointment, she let me know she wasn't going to be there because she was in Indianapolis because her husband had just had a lung transplant. And you know what? He's doing great. God is in the business. See, he showed doctors how to do that. He started transplanting hearts a long time ago. And so it's possible. It's a fact. It will happen to every sincere, repentant believer in Jesus Christ. He will put his Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit's primary job is to create within us a new heart. Now, here's the way that works. The, the number one thing that he starts off, and it was mentioned there, if you recall. Where's the baby? Somebody pinched the baby. I heard him crying. Okay. All right. I like babies. I don't like them when they cry, but that's okay. Here's the way it is. First thing that he, the Holy Spirit wants to create within us is a what? New mind. All right, so where do we find that in Scripture? It just so happens that I wrote it down there for you, so you know. The 12th chapter of the book of Romans, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. That's the old heart. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through the encouragement of other believers, helps us to start thinking differently. We, for the first time, care more about the other person than we do ourselves. Most of the difficulties that come between people is somebody somewhere is more concerned about their selfish desires than they are the will of God. And it causes un just problems everywhere within families and everything else. So here we are. Transformed with a new way of thinking. Secondly, we talk about the cleansed conscience. We read that, if you recall, from the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews, but we'll, read, we'll do it again because here's what he says. And, and Ralph, we sang a song about the cleansing, didn't we? I was out there trying to straighten Gary out, but I should have been in here because it didn't work, you know. Anyway, he's still a Democrat. And, and, and happy to be that way, unfortunately. That's the way it is. Okay, enough of that foolishness. Okay, Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more then with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, remember the Holy Spirit has to be doing this, offered himself unblemished to God to cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death. Because there are sins that lead to death, the Bible says in the book of 1 John. Yeah. All right. Now we're talking about emotions, emotions. 
I've always been skeptical of, of situations in churches and church meetings where people said, oh, I, I felt the presence of God. I hate to tell you this, but there ain't no such thing. You're talking about an emotional experience that usually comes as a result of really good music or, or maybe a great testimony. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God doesn't work outside you. He works in you. And if He doesn't work in you, you're lost. Every, now listen to me carefully, every false doctrine that I know of is a, in groups has been spread in a highly effective emotional atmosphere. The truth is sometimes not very emotional. So the Holy Spirit has to have control of your emotions or you will fall for stuff that is terrible and thinking it's good because it feels so good. I hate that the Debbie Boone sang that song a long time ago, How Can Anything Bad Feel So Good? A whole bunch of things, including adultery and a whole bunch of other sins. Be very careful that you're guided not by your emotions, but by the Word of God. Because the love of God is not an emotion. It's an act. So to keep us out of trouble, God needs to control our emotions. And this is a very sticky wicket today in church services. People are attracted to a highly emotional atmosphere to the exclusion of many instances of truth. Now, if you're fortunate enough to blend truth with an emotional atmosphere, you got something very special, and it usually leads to revival. But if emotion trumps, that's a bad term to use in today's political world, and, and uh, <laughs> didn't mean it that way, but if, if, if it supersedes, is that all right? If it supersedes truth, then you're looking at false doctrine, and it's dangerous. So be very careful. That's what we're looking out for here, being very careful. You go back, actually, to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans again in dealing with this subject because the people then, as now, who are not mature in their faith are attracted to an emotional atmosphere. Here's what he says in verses 9 and 10. Love must be, the word here is sincere. And, and it would take me a lot of minutes to explain the Greek word here, but it really means love must be the real thing as God describes it. Hate what is evil, 
Cling to what is good. Be devoted, and here's the difference. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. That's what the real love is. It's not getting what I want. It's doing what God wants, whether it's comfortable or not. And so he, he is telling us that the Holy Spirit will create within us genuine emotions, sincere emotions, ones that are guided by the Spirit of God and not our own selfish desires. Because I'm telling you folks, we've all at one time or another gotten in trouble or participated in trouble based on selfish desires rather than the Word of God. Now let's move on. And this may be, as I said at the outset, the will. And it may be the, the one thing that helps us evaluate how mature we are as we struggle with my will and God's will. Even Jesus struggled with it in the flesh. Do you remember? Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Because the flesh, meaning our natural desires, is a strong pull in all of us until we die. And it takes the power of the Spirit of God as the dominant influence in our life to overcome these fleshly, natural desires that come as a result of sin and the devil dominating our world. And he does. The second chapter of Philippians is one of the great chapters of the Bible. And, here's, and, and in that chapter, believe it or not, there were two women fighting, I mean, in that book. Euodia and Syntyche. If I had a name like that, I think I'd be ticked off too. But these were the two women who were having a, a cat fight. And, uh, and, and it's in this atmosphere that the Apostle Paul writes this letter addressing not just those two women, but all of the church there in the church at Philippi. And here in verse 20 and following, he says this. In the um, chapter 1. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will find sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, he says. What he's talking about here is for, the, for us to get to the place where our single goal in life is this, for people to be able to see Christ in us, on a daily basis. 
And if and when we reach that level of discipleship, people who are out there and skeptical will start believing because then we become the light of the world, which is what we are designed to be. That's what the Lord asked us to be. I want you to be light in darkness, he said. You get to this level, and you will be, you will be a disciple, not just a convert. When you back up to that 13th verse, in the second chapter, in, in verse 13, he said, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, that brings our will in line with his will in order to accomplish his purpose, not ours. Our purpose becomes his purpose because we will to do his will. That's the work the Holy Spirit is doing within us. Uh, Rosanda, you hit on it this way. Now, here's the deal. If these four items that are, make up the scriptural heart come under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit, if and when that happens, He will have created within us a new heart. We will have experienced a heart transplant. But I think you will agree with me that this is something we couldn't do on our own. It has to be coming through the faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, if you've ever seen a miracle... If you've ever seen a miracle, that's it. When God became flesh, dwelt among us full of grace and truth, and gave us the capacity, because we were lost and separated from God, to come back to Him, have a new heart, and to live eternally. That's the miracle of the Bible. It's the miracle. We, we talk about healing and all. That's nothing compared to this. And so there's a song that I really like. It's an old hymn. And I asked Rosanda to sing it because it talks about this very thing. So, Rosanda, whip it on us. It took a miracle 
Now here's the promise. Jesus made it in the sermon that he preached, his first sermon, a great crowd of people gathered. And here was what he said to people who are willing to let the Holy Spirit come into their life and create within them a new heart. He said it this way, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay? That's what we're preaching about. That's what we're wanting you to achieve. A heart transplant if you're not a Christian. Your heart to be molded by the power of the Holy Spirit until Christ can be seen in you on a daily basis. And that's the way we treat each other. These four things, the intellect, the conscience, the emotions, and the will, governed by the power of the Holy Spirit will be, make it possible for you when the time comes to see God. Amen? God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.